If you've got your Bible with you, turn to James chapter 1. Man, I've, I, I love this book. I've been digging deep into it this week, and it is just so, so good. You, you remember we're talking about nuts and bolts, the nuts and bolts of what it means to follow Jesus. Remember last week, uh, as you came, you were given a little nut and bolt that looks like this. We didn't have enough to put them on every seat this week, but there's some by the door if you didn't get one. And I encourage you to keep it with you, to put it in your pocket, to put it in your purse, and to remember at every opportunity to tighten the bolt of what it means to represent and what it means to follow Jesus. Again, there's nothing magical about having a little nut and bolt in your pocket, but it's just there to remind us that it's so easy for the nut to slip down, right? Uh, last Sunday afternoon, I, I spent the afternoon, I'll uh, let you know, at the local bar involved in a fundraiser for uh, Christian help. And as the evening went on and on and on, uh, so did the alcohol intake of lots of the folks who were supporting what we were doing. And so I'm sitting there drinking my water with my hand in my pocket, tightening my nut, just saying, Lord, Lord, help me be a good witness. Help me not do something silly here. On, on, on Monday, I was invited to uh, the local commission meeting to say a few words of reflection as they mourned the passing of a co-worker, and I really didn't know what to expect, and I walked into the room. Man, there was a lot of people there, and there was a, a lot of emotion. I got my hand in my pocket, and I just feel my nut and bolt, and I tighten it. I say, Lord, just help me to care well. Help me to represent you well. And, and so I want to remind you, Keep tightening the nuts and the bolts because we are living before a watching world who needs not to see us and our limitedness and our brokenness, but needs to see Jesus. So often we get sloppy in our relationship with Him and we need to be reminded that we are His ambassadors. We are His hands and feet. If people don't see Jesus in us, the likelihood that they will see Jesus drops drastically. So today I want to talk from James chapter 1 about how we tighten the bolt. Now, no metaphor is perfect, and this one certainly isn't either. It's, it's limited in its theological application. I acknowledge that. I want to get that out of the way straight away. But I don't know about you, but often in my spiritual life, there are times when it feels like the nuts and the bolts are pretty tight. God is with me. Something's happened that could only be from God. But the reality is that there are times when it feels like that connection with God is just hanging on literally by a thread. Did you know that these little lines here are called threads? 
You know, and the little space between them is called a pitch. Did you know that? Don't, don't, did anyone else know that? Don't think I'm like Tim the Toolman because I had to Google it, right? <laughs> but you got your threads and the pitch is the difference between the threads. And it seems sometimes like the pitch is real wide and it feels like we're just hanging on to our relationship with God by a thread. Now here's the, the good news. Even though you may be hanging on by a thread, God will not drop you. God loves you so much. He is crazy about you. He is for you. That he will continue to hold you. But to live in a state where we're just hanging on by a thread is not God's intent for us. God's plan is that we would move closer and closer and closer, getting more threads together so that we can experience the fullness and the intimacy and the closeness and the tightness of relationship with Him. And so in this first chapter of James, Jesus starts to talk about how we can tighten the bolt so we're not hanging on by a thread. Does that make sense? So James chapter 1, if you have your Bible, turn to it. If you want to open it up in the uh, phone, in the version app, do that. There's some notes in there as well. But for context of James chapter 1, I think that he's talking about how we can tighten the bolt. He says this, first few verses. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And endurance should have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. The goal of James chapter 1 is that we are mature and complete, lacking nothing, that there is no gap between where we are and where God is. Does that make sense? That our relationship is tight. But James tells us in this preamble that the way that we get to that tightness, the way that we get to that maturity and that completeness is not how we expect. We have this picture of faith that growing in our faith is all about great being built on good. I'm good, and then I'm very good, and then I'm very great, and just on and on and on that we build and we build and we build. But the way that we get to that maturity, James says, is through trials. Now, I don't know about you, but often when a trial comes, 
my nut moves down the bolt. It gets closer to the bottom. And if I have enough trials in the same season of life, it's real easy for me to find myself just hanging on to my faith by a thread. We think that trials take us away from God, but James says the opposite is true. The trials come not to increase the gap, but to close the gap. He says when trials come because of this, don't curse the trial. Don't run from the trial. Don't try and escape from the trial. Consider the trial pure joy. I don't know about you, but that's not my experience often in my life, right? Trials do not fill me with any kind of joy. But James is saying here, there is a purpose in your trial. It's to bring you closer to God, who is the source of all joy. And so if you want to be smart about the trials that you are facing, begin those trials with the end in mind, and the end is joy. Now that's a harsh word. And James doesn't mean for it to be so harsh. He wants to say it in a caring context. That's why he writes to brothers and sisters. He's, he's been very pastoral. But he says, whenever you experience various of trials, consider them joy because of what they are creating in you. We think that trials take us away from God, and they can, and often they do, but they don't need to. James is saying that when trials come, they don't need to separate us. They can bring us closer to God. He says this is the, this is the process. He says, first of all, when testing comes, that testing will produce in you endurance. You know, when you're hanging on to that last thread, you've got to hold on. You've got to endure. When it feels like God is distant, you've got to stay close to Him. When you want to sleep through that quiet time, you got to pull yourself out of bed. When you want to be rude to that person who's wronged you, you've got to keep loving. You've got to endure. And nothing produces endurance like trials, right? Endurance is good because it gives us the, the, the full effect of faith. And as we keep holding on, as we prove ourselves with God, in God, before God, stronger than the trial, that endurance and trial produces in us maturity and makes us complete, lacking nothing. That's 
That's the closeness. That's the intimacy. That's the work of God. That's where he wants to take us. But James knows that endurance and maturity and completeness isn't that easy. He knows that most of us in our flesh believe that trials are working against us, not working for us. And so he gives us three things that we can do, that we should do, that we must do if we want to Keep holding on by that last thread before things start to turn around. The first thing that God says we must do when it feels like we're holding on by a thread is that we must ask for wisdom and that we will rise as we become wise. When we're hanging on by a thread and it feels like we're going to lose everything and we're going to fall away, when it feels like the foolishness of the world is bringing us down, the first thing that James says is, you rise by being wise. The first part of verse um Five is really redundant. He said, if any of you lacks wisdom, and it's redundant because the reality is we all lack wisdom. We all have a deficit in this area. Why? Because none of us are God. And it's because we are not God that life feels often like it's failing and that we are at the end of the thread, that we're hanging on by a thread. And so James says, the first thing that you need to do, if you want to move towards intimacy, if you want to tighten this relationship, is you must ask for wisdom. You must ask for wisdom. Why? Because God promises that when we ask, He supplies. You know, when we're going through the trials and it feels like we're, we're, we're hanging on by the last thread, we need to remember that that trial, that that problem is temporary, and the promises of God are permanent. And this first promise that we need to hold on to is that as we ask God for wisdom, He will supply it. Why? Because that's who He is. That's His character. James says He gives to all generously, and ungrudgingly. He's not, he's not saying, okay, I'll, I'll pull you through again. He doesn't begrudge helping us. 
He doesn't ignore us when we're in trouble. He says, all you got to do is ask. When it feels like you're hanging on by a thread, first of all, ask God for wisdom and God will give it. This works in two ways, I believe. First of all, it works because God is wise. And God will speak to us and God will give us insight. And secondly, it works because asking for wisdom causes us to step outside the situation, to acknowledge that we don't have the solution on our own. And so we can reflect and we can ask God. When we're hanging on by a thread, the first thing we're invited to do is ask God for wisdom because he gives it generously and ungrudgingly. If you ask, it will be given to you. This week I was reading a story by a biologist whose name is Carl von Frisch. Sounds like a biologist. And this guy studies bees. Now, we know that bees are very um, important uh, animals or insects or whatever you call them to our ecosystem, right? He says, though, that bees have a way of discerning wisdom. They have a way of communicating with each other so that they can decide together what the wise thing is to do. The study's really, really interesting. What happens if they need to find a, um, you know, a new place to, to go, to, to cultivate, to create the honey, to grab the pollen, the whole thing? One of them, or several of them will go out on a scouting mission. They will look around and then they will come back to the hive and they will give what this biologist calls a little waggle. Now I imagine a waggle is like a wiggle, but you do it when you're flying, right? And he says that through the way that they waggle at each other, they are able to communicate with each other whether this move is a good move or not. They'll come together and then when they get a consensus of waggles around an idea, that's where they will go together. And as I was hearing this story, it struck me how amazing it is that even bees... Don't just go and do something. They lean into the wisdom of each other. They pause before each other and they say, what's the wise thing to do? God is saying here, James is reminding us that when we have a big decision, that when it feels like we're at the end of our thread, that we can come together before God and waggle at each other and receive his Wisdom. He says, this is a promise. This is a promise that you can take to the bank. This is a promise that you can put your faith in. The only thing God requires of this is when you 
ask for wisdom, ask in faith without doubting. Because when you doubt, then you doubt. And when you doubt, that doubt acts as a pressure that keeps you away from God because we come to God in faith. He goes on to say one of the reasons why we doubt is because we're double-minded and unstable. This world double-minded is very interesting. As you dig into it, it doesn't just mean double-minded. It actually means double-souled. S-O-U-L. It means that deep inside you, you are conflicted about whether God is going to do this or not. I think part of the reason that we make so many dumb decisions is not just because we don't ask for wisdom. It's because we believe that God isn't going to give it. And we become double-souled. But James is clear, if you're hanging on a thread, one of the first things you need to do is ask for wisdom because God promises he'll give it. Second thing, verse 9, when we're hanging on by that thread, it feels like we're distant from God. He says this, let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like the flower of the field for the sun rises and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass, its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes in the same way the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. The second thing that James is talking about, if we're to tighten the bolt, has nothing to do whether we are rich or poor, but it has everything to do with our attitude and whether we are embracing a life of humility or whether we're embracing a life of pride. And he's saying that those who are poor, who we must love, who we must serve, who we must give ourselves to, are in a better place than most of us who are rich. Because left to their own devices, wealth takes us to places of pride and humility and and poverty takes us to places of humility and humility is the key to our relationship with God. James is saying, when you're hanging on by a thread, ask for wisdom and embrace humility. We think in our brokenness and our sinfulness that our pride, that our ability, that our stuff, that our strength is what brings us to God. 
It doesn't work that way. It is our humility that strengthens our relationship with God. Last night, Tracy and I were at another fundraiser for an organization that we love and support. And the speaker was the actor Kirk Cameron from Growing Pains. There's a whole story about Tracy's teenage crush that I won't share in front of the cameras, but when we finish, maybe I'll, I'll tell you. <laughs> but Kirk Cameron delivers this fantastic presentation about how he came to know Jesus. And he says, it was really hard for me because when I was 17, I was one of the most famous, popular, wealthy teenagers in the country. I was a heartthrob of all the teenage girls, including Tracy, who later met a different heartthrob. <laughs> he said, if someone wanted to get on my calendar, they had to go through my agent, then my assistant to get to me. And I would only meet them on my time, on my schedule, because it was all about me, because I was the celebrity. And he tells a story about how he started to like this girl and she was a Christian and so he went to church. He didn't understand what was going on because he'd been an atheist who thought that he was the celebrity. And a wise pastor or mentor pulled him aside after explaining the gospel and said, Kurt, if you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to stop being the celebrity and let Jesus be the celebrity in your life. And as Kurt talked about it last night, he talked about making the transition from someone who was incredibly proud to someone who was deeply humbled. And it's when we deeply humble ourselves that our closeness with God starts to get tighter. Amen. James is saying, when you're hanging on by a thread, ask God for wisdom and God gives it. And that breeds the intimacy. When you're hanging on a thread, embrace a life of humility. Because when we become nothing, Christ can become more. So I was thinking about this scripture this week. One of my favorite quotes from a missionary came to my mind from Jim Elliott. He said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to embrace what he cannot lose. As James is talking about the rich and poor, he's not really talking about the rich and poor. He's talking about the humble and the proud. And he says, if you want to connect with God, humility is your only bet there. How do we climb wisdom? Humility. Verse 12, endurance. Blessed. Being happy, being full of joy is the one who endures trials. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown that God has promised to all who love him. 
The third trait that James is talking about, wisdom, humility, and endurance. This is so important. He mentions it in the preamble, then he mentions it again. He says, you've got to hang in there. You cannot quit. You must not give up. You must endure. Not not out of fear, but out of hope. Because if we keep enduring, there is a crown of life that God himself has promised. You know, the crown is a powerful symbol. This metaphor here talks about uh, a winner in a race. Or it could talk about a, a king or a queen who receives a crown. But the prize that God has for us is the prize of intimacy. The prize of being with him, the prize of tightening that gap, that prize of being close to him. And he says, if you want to get it, you've got to endure. Verse 13, no one undergoing a trial should say, I am been tempted by God. And some of us need to hear this. Let me say it again. No one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Even though each person is tempted in his own way, he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. What's he saying? Trials are something that God will use that we must endure to help us close the gap, to help us come close to him. Sometimes that trial feels like a temptation. But don't let the external trial become an internal temptation. Because temptation, uh, using the, the metaphor here, is like bait. You know, if you're a fish, you, you see the bait, you think, oh, that bait looks nice, but you don't see the hook. And the enemy wants nothing more than to get his hook in us so he can yank us away from God. But James says, endure, keep going, hang on. So so it feels like we're hanging on by a thread sometimes, right? It, it feels like we're, we're getting close to fall off. And, and James says, look, in those moments, there's, there's some things that you need to do. You need to know. You need to ask for wisdom, and God will give you some wisdom, and, and that pushes us the right way towards tightness, towards intimacy. He says, when it feels like you're, you're falling off, don't, don't let pride win. Don't, don't trust your pride. Lean into humility because when we're humble, that brings us closer to God. He says, when it feels like, like sin has got its hook in you, when that trial has turned into a temptation, don't give up. Don't quit. Endure because endurance It's one of those things that tightens our relationship with God and brings us closer to him.
Be wise, be humble, endure. But then he says this, and I think this is so fascinating, verse 16. I think he says this because he wants us to know that all our efforts towards coming close to God are not and will never be enough. He says, don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from God. Coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. I think what he's saying here in his first exhortation is that we can ask for wisdom and God will give it and that helps. And we can humble ourselves and that's really important if we're going to draw to God. And we can, we can kind of clench our fists and hold on and endure and that's really important. But what he's saying here is don't be deceived. Ultimately, your salvation Your intimacy with God, your closeness to Him is not about what you can do, but it's about what He has done. James is talking about Jesus. And he says every good and perfect gift comes from Him. The one who will not change. The one who is for you. The one who loves you infinitely more than we could ever love him. The one who is the father of light. The father of all that is is right and holy and good and pleasing. Verse 19, this God, by his own choice, gave us birth by the word of truth. What James is saying is he wrapped up. When he feels like you're hanging on by a thread, you do what you can. You be wise. You humble yourself. You endure. You own your stuff. But ultimately realize that your salvation and your relationship with God is all about what God has done by His own choice by his own choice our intimacy with God our closeness with God comes not because of of us it becomes because of the choice that Jesus has made it was a choice that he made long ago It was a choice he made way before he got to the garden when he prayed, God, I want your will to be done. Your choice in my life, knowing full well that that choice would take him to a cross and that on that cross he would endure a pain, not just physical, but of the weight of our sin that would kill him and crush him. But also, 
that three days later he would rise again so that we could be forgiven and know God intimately and know God closely and know God personally. Let me recap James chapter 1, my own words. It feels sometimes that we're just hanging on by a thread, right? And we say, when I'm hanging on by a thread, well, what have I got to do? Well, you got to ask God for wisdom and he'll give it. You got to humble yourself and he'll lift you up. You got to not quit. You got to endure. But most of all, you got to realize that your relationship with God is not about you. It's about what God has done. It's about the cross. It's about Jesus giving his life so that we can be free and forgiven and tight with him.